Mark chapter 6. But before we get to Mark's gospel, I wanted to uh, start this evening uh, by reading an excerpt from uh, the late great theologian, Dr. Seuss, and this, uh, this book, Oh, the Places That You Will Go. This is actually uh, my wife's copy she received on her graduation evening on that stage behind me. Um, oh, so long ago, she'd get upset if I said when. But Dr. Seuss writes in his uh, anecdotal yet uncannily true way of the synopsis of life, He says, I'm sorry to say so, but sadly, it's true that bang ups and hang ups can happen to you and you can all you can get all hung up in a prickly perch and your gang will fly on and you'll be left in a lurch and you'll come down from that lurch with an unpleasant bump and the chances are then that you'll be in a slump and when you're in a slump, you're not in for much fun. Because unslumping yourself is not easily done. Amen. He writes, you will come to a place where the streets are not marked. Some windows are lighted, but mostly they're dark. A place you could sprain both your elbow and chin. Do you dare to stay out? Do you dare to go in? How much can you lose? How much can you win? And if you go in, should you turn left or right? or right in three quarters, or maybe not quite, or go around back and sneak in from behind. Simple it's not, I'm afraid you will find, for that one who follows Jesus to make up his mind. Obviously, I modified that last line there. But uh, that's one of Shep's favorite reads uh, right before he goes down. And I read that the other night, and I thought, how, how, how much that kind of tied into kind of what I wanted to share tonight. And And even though this is Dr. Seuss, it follows quite a bit much of what the Bible reveals about this thing called suffering. You know, most of us, when it comes to suffering, we can accept it in general, especially uh, when it comes to uh, suffering that um, is experienced through the consequence of sin or through, uh, you know, bad behavior. We won't have a, a problem with that, but... We do have a problem when um, bad things happen, and probably you heard this, to good people, you know, to those who are godly when they enter into uh, seasons of suffering. Well, that troubles us, especially when it happens to us. It's what we may deem undeserved suffering. That's when it becomes a problem. And maybe the Lord is allowing one of you, some of you, maybe all of you tonight, um, going through something difficult right now in your own lives. And, uh, and my hope is that kind of I looked at, at what I wanted to share tonight. My hope is that as we look to his word, as challenging as this season may be or experience can be, I hope that we can find some comfort and some encouragement um, and maybe even a renewed sense of faith as we kind of navigate through this season with you know, the, the, the truth of the fact of the matter that Jesus is right there with us. And we could just allow him, as we just sang and prayed, to, to kind of move in and have its way. Right on? All right. So Mark chapter 6, we're going to just read a couple verses starting at verse 45. Mark writes, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida. And while he sent the multitude away, 
And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. And now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. And now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. Stop right there. I, I love this story. This story here is, is kind of tucked in between uh, much of Jesus' miraculous ministry to the masses that all flocked to him to see him and hear him and be touched by him. And here in, in this little section, we read um, even starting at verse 45, very um, descriptive and action-packed words. It says there that immediately... That he, being Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat. And we kind of might, you know, kind of wonder, hey, why so fast? What's the hurry, Jesus? You know, why is it so important, uh, you know, for us to get out of here? And why did Jesus have to make his disciples enter the boat? Well, as I mentioned before, this, this event happened just after Jesus had had multiplied those few loaves and fishes and fed over 10,000 people. And, and again, uh, you know, John's gospel said that the mob of, of people that were there whom Jesus fed, well, they hoped in that moment after that great experience of seeing this miracle and being fed, well, they hoped, John tells us, to make Jesus at that point to make him their king. You know, they were like, yeah, free lunch, that's, that's amazing. I want free lunch every day. Let's make him our king. Maybe he'll throw in health care with that. So, you know, Jesus, you know, was, was now trying, you know, the people wanted to make him their king. And the disciples were in that same frame of mind, thinking that this was the moment that Jesus, you know, had been referring to and talking about where, where finally his kingdom would come. Finally, Jesus would be put in that place of prominence And the disciples wondered, man, we're going to be right there with him. You know, the disciples were those who were always arguing over, you know, who was the greatest. You know, especially when Jesus' kingdom would come, who would be in a greater place of prominence. So the disciples were right there with all these people, you know, wanting to promote and put Jesus in that place. But Jesus, knowing all these things... Knowing the, you know, what was going on in the hearts and minds of those people and, and with his own disciples, well, he knew that this was neither the time nor the place, but especially this was not the way that his kingdom would come. Jesus truly knew the way uh, of, of his kingdom would lead him to hang and suffer and die on a cross only to be risen again and then eventually to be lifted up at that place of prominence the right hand of God accompanying, um, accompanying him there after accomplishing his father's will. So Jesus, knowing this, at that moment he corrals up, he kind of gathers his disciples together and he, he, he puts them on that, that boat. And I'm sure they're thinking like, hey, wait a minute, what are, what are you doing? Like, we're, we're leaving this ripe opportunity. Why shouldn't we stay and take advantage of it? 
You know, take advantage of this open door for, for ministry. Everybody is, is excited. There's a buzz. Shouldn't we stay and just kind of, you know, bask in all of this? You know, of course, for the sake of ministry, but despite their resistance, which I'm sure was like getting my kids to leave, you know, Harvest Crusade and get in the car. I'm sorry, the Harvest Festival when it was still going on. You know, Jesus gets them in the boat. And, uh, you know, kind of looking just at that snapshot, that picture, I think how so often, you know, we could find ourselves in a place that seems right. A place that seems and might feel so good, but we have to remember our perspectives are so limited. Whereas God, from you know his vantage point, well, God can not only see our future and see our end, but so beautifully, he can also see through our flesh and our bones and our blood. He can view our hearts, the state of our hearts, where our hearts are at in that moment. And he can also see what needs to happen, what needs to change, what he needs to bring about in our lives to produce this beautiful plan that he has for each and every one of us. And so sometimes I, despite what we think in a moment, well, God can see something different and he places us in the boat. And so we're told, having sent you know, his disciples away on the boat, dismissing that crowd, Jesus goes to pray. What did he pray? We do not know. He could have been thinking of, of what's to come in the next few weeks and days. Could have been thinking of, of uh, the, the lost sheep of Israel and that crowd he had compassion for. He could have been thinking of those final moments that he's going to spend with his disciples, that final meal, and the words that he would say to them. All we know is that he prayed, yet in the context of the story, it says that while he prayed, he saw them. He saw his disciples from, you know, high up on the mountaintop. He saw them there, and he's struggling, uh, and they were struggling, and I, I know, I really believe that he prayed for them. He prayed for them, because meanwhile, there they were in verse 48, straining at the oars, straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And, um, you know, when I think about this, I think, you know, although Jesus had put his disciples in a boat, it was their obedience that kept them there. You know, he set them out on their destination, but that wind had come, you know, howling from, from the northeast, driving them out to the middle of the lake and, uh, you know, kind of pushing them in the op- opposite direction they were trying to go. Yet they were there and they continued to be there, struggling for hours because of their obedience. The sails were down, the, the oars were out, and they were fighting and fighting. And, and, and despite their endless rowing, they weren't getting any closer, but they were getting farther away. Whereas the previous storm that we read, you know, where Jesus was sleeping and they had to wake him up because they were fearing for their lives. Well, here, and they're not so much in danger, but instead they were just miserable, soaking wet, straining to keep on track. But they were there because they obeyed Jesus. And that's important to note. That not only was it Jesus' leading, but it was also their obedience that caused this discomfort. Prolong their misery. You know, I think about the disciples' alternative. If, if they came to a place where they said, you know what, enough is enough, we're turning this boat around. 
I mean, they, they probably would have gotten home pretty quickly because the wind was at their back, had a warm meal, you know, a, a, a warm place to sleep. They, they probably would have had a good night's rest. But instead, they fought on. They continued on. It was their obedience that continued to make them miserable, experience this suffering. And sometimes our obedience to Jesus may prolong suffering going on, discomfort in our lives, and it might lead us into these vessels that takes us directly into the storms of suffering that we will endure. And Jesus can do multiple things through those opportunities of suffering. I know my flesh tries to avoid those moments and those storms, but God in his love and mercy, he hopes to create in me something, something far greater than I could ever try to imitate. And I'm thankful for that. Thankful that, that God in his love and mercy will direct me beyond what my flesh thinks is right. It was obedience that landed Corrie Tin Boom in the Nazi concentration camps where she experienced quite a bit of suffering. It was obedience that led Jim Elliott, the missionary, and five of his friends down to South America, but yet to the, their early death in trying to reach the Aka Indians. And it's obedience that leads many who suffer around this world on foreign soil or they're put in prison for proclaiming Christ or, or pursuing to be faithful in what he's called them to do. And, and I know that maybe, uh, you know, despite, you know, their um, persecution that they're facing, it is tr- true that their obedience continues to place them in those moments of discomfort and hurt and suffering, and it's the same true with us. In all these cases and more, their misery, well, it was their own fault. It was their obedience to Christ. And, and if we, if you and I, submit our lives over to Christ in obedient commitment, the truth is that we will expose ourselves to a variety of hardships and challenges. Maybe not persecution, but, but maybe some opposition, some wind against kind of where we want to go or we think we should go or, or just something to cause some discomfort in our lives. Unfortunately, many of us, including, um, well, I'm putting myself in this, Sometimes I, I fall into the trap of, of kind of believing in a gospel quite, quite contrary, to refuse or to accept the great purpose that God has for me in the challenges of this life. Because I have, to, I have to read his word and understand that something is quite contrary than my comfort, but instead, these moments of suffering and discomfort may bring a special joy. They produce a very powerful peace. These things that, that we need, not just for ourselves, but sometimes, man, we need because the Lord wants to use what he's taught us in the people next to you, the people around you, the children that you raise, and the spouse that you encourage, those younger than you that you disciple. 
The Lord wants to teach us vital lessons beyond what I can teach myself in my own comfort. And to avoid this, it, it takes away all that God desires for us to experience. You know, I um, had an opportunity to speak to um, Trail Life, our, our, our troop that meets here at the church, and, and they had a, a ceremony where we were kind of honoring their achievements, and some of them were receiving their badges, and I had the privilege to talk to them and kind of gave them a message similar to this. But I was telling them, like, hey, when I was your age, I was, I was real involved in baseball, loved the game. Hated to lose. Anybody out there hate to lose? I hated to lose. I, I hated even more, you know, striking out, you know, in that, that, that walk back to the dugout after, you know, I had, I had struck out. I hated that. But, but, but I wouldn't give up playing just because I hated striking out or I hated losing because if I were to have given up playing the game, I would have never experienced the rush of getting a hit. You know, or hitting a home run, scoring a run, or, or enjoying that comeback victory with the rest of the team. You know, we, we hiked last Saturday up to Potato Chip Rock. That was no easy hike. You know, some of the boys were like, are we there yet? And, and you know, and I was, I started asking the, the boys, hey, man, are we there yet? Because, man, my legs are, are hurting. You know, sometimes, sometimes hiking's not, not easy. Sometimes you fall, a couple boys bit it, you know, not paying attention or going too fast. You know, a couple scrapes and bruises. But if, if, you know, we don't like the strain and struggle of, uh, of hiking and we give it up, we're never going to experience the mountaintop. You know, we're never going to experience what, what, what we're allowed to see from that vantage point up high and breathe in the alpine air and, and enjoy that sense of accomplishment that keeps us going back for more. You know, and if, and if we give up and if we try to avoid and, and kick and, and scream and resist when the Lord wants to bring us onto these boats and into these storms and through these struggles and experience that stress... And we're going to never experience the Lord filling up our sails with his spirit to give us the ability to press on, to give us the ability to learn the lessons we need to learn. You know, Jesus, when he comes on the boat, he comes on the boat, you know, at that fourth watch, which is like 3 to 4 a.m., you know, and, and by that time, the, you know, the disciples have been straining for hours but at the moment that he gets in the boats, John's gospel tells us that they arrive at the other side of the shore. You know, there's things that Jesus hopes that, that we could arrive to. But if we give up, if we turn back, and we're never going to experience what the Lord wants to teach us through these things. It's true that uh, our human tendency during times of difficulty is maybe even to believe God is absent or unaware or, or maybe even punishing us. But this text that, I, that we read tonight speaks quite the opposite. That as children of God, as, as his kids, we are special objects of his endless thought and his compassionate care. Yes, there are moments of struggle, but sometimes God isn't testing us. Instead, he decides or and hopes to refine us you know it's noted that that the disciples you know their hearts were hard 
for some reason because of the loaves and fishes. They didn't understand. But Jesus did. He wanted to teach them and grow them and refine them. And he wants to do the same to you and I. You know, lifeguards will tell you that often the hardest person to save is the one who's panicking and flailing their arms and and trying to fight to survive. But it's only when that individual comes to the point of exhaustion and they have no energy left, then the lifeguard can kind of move in, pull that person back to safety. And you know, sometimes God will allow us to get to that point. We're kicking and screaming and flailing, whether if it's outwardly or just inwardly in our own hearts and minds. And you know what? Same is true. That God might want us to get to the end of our rope. Maybe that's you tonight. Just wanting to let go, come to the end of your resources so that you finally cling to him. Allow him into your boat. Because the Lord's words to his disciples are the same to you and I. That, hey, you don't have to worry. You don't have to be afraid. It's me. I'm the one that's orchestrating all of this. And I'm the one that's here, not just to rescue you, but to change you and transform you and build you up to make you more like me. May we let him do that in our lives. We're going to enter into now our time of just, as Peter said, just waiting on the Lord. And uh, I think a, a great kind of reminder for us, Rob read this verse out of James chapter 5 a couple weeks ago. But in these moments, I think this verse is fitting. James writes in verse um, 13 of chapter 5, is any among you suffering? James is like, hey, is any of you going through it right now? On the boat, straining at the oars. James says, if that's you, let him pray. He says, is anybody cheerful? Let him sing praises to God. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Those are directions for us tonight as we move into this time. If any of you are at that place straining at the oars and at the end of your rope, head to the back. Receive prayer. If anybody is sick or, or ailing or just in need of prayer, head back. Be anointed with oil and be prayed over. And let's just wait and just see with excitement, with expectancy of just how the Lord wants to continue to work and move tonight as we just wait on him. So let's do that now.